And now, with Sound Investing, here's Paul Merriman. Well, this is a podcast that I truly believe will live up to the mission of our foundation. I don't know how many of you have actually read it, but part of the mission is to provide information and tools to make informed decisions in your best interest and to help you successfully implement those decisions. And in this podcast, I'm going to share some information. And every time I look at one of our tables, I feel it's a tool. Uh, I can talk about it. You can study it. And I'm sure you're going to want to download uh, two particular tables. Uh, One is entitled, Which $2 Million Decision is Right for You? And the other is, Which $10 Million Decision is Right for You? So uh, uh, I hope that gives you a clue that we are talking about some big money. And of course, if you're young, you got a lot of time. And that is wonderful to make this particular information shine. If you're old like I am, then my hope is you're passing this on to some young person or maybe Maybe you are investing part of your portfolio for your heirs. And, in fact, this information could be useful to you as well. Now, in the last podcast, we talked about the implications of adding a 10% uh, S&P 500 uh, position uh, to a uh, what would otherwise be a 100% fixed income, but you were just going to put a touch of equity in there uh, along with the 90% bonds, and that was going to be your exposure uh, to, uh, to equities. And the idea is that the problem I'm trying to solve, the information I'm trying to get to people who are very low risk risk takers is that just a little bit of risk can make a huge difference. And um, if you happen to remember, uh, in that particular case, an all-bond portfolio over a uh, 40-year accumulation and a 30-year distribution period uh, turned out to produce about one point. $95 million in withdrawals and what you left to heirs. On the other hand, if you just added 10% in equities, uh, it turned out that the total was about $2 million more. The total of the withdrawals and, and the money that you left to others was a little over $4 million. Now, it's important to understand that that particular outcome was based on putting the the, the 10% into equities and just let it ride. Do not rebalance. Let it ride. But if you did rebalance, it turns out 
you would end up, instead of over 4 million, you would end up with about a million and a half, which would be uh, a half a million more than you would have gotten from just the the fixed income, all, all fixed income portfolio. So that was a big decision to rebalance. And we'll talk about rebalancing in another podcast because I think there's a lot of misunderstandings about the impact of rebalancing. But even if you only picked up a half a million, you went from about 1.95 to about 1.5 and change uh, with the uh, with the addition of the ten percent in the s and p five hundred, but we talk normally about a lot more than the s and p five hundred and so a point I want to make talking again about just the ten percent in equities that doesn 't mean i wouldn 't like you to have twenty percent or thirty percent or forty percent uh, in equities. I certainly would but just the 10% in equities, if instead of using the S&P 500, you balanced it, that 10%, 5% in the S&P 500, and 5% in small cap blend. Now, let me make sure you, you know the numbers we're using for compounding. This is important. With the S&P 500, we're using 10% even though the average return for the S&P 500 uh, over all the 40-year periods, I think they're like 53 40-year periods from 1928 uh, to uh, 2020, uh, the, the average was 11%, not 10. So I think we're being realistic, conservative. Now, when we look at the small cap blend the average 40-year period is 13.7. We used in this particular computation 12%. So now 90% in bonds, 5% each S&P 500 and small cap blend. Let everything ride. No rebalancing. Instead of 4 million, it is 6 million. Another 2 million. And what if we, instead of the S&P 500 and small cap blend, what if we use the S&P 500 and small cap value? Again, we're left with the decision, what, do we, what, what compound rate of return do we use for small cap value? Well, the average 40-year period, going back to 1928, is over 16%. For the last 51 years, it has been 13.5, and we have used in this particular study 13. So with 90% in bonds, 5% in the S&P 500, 5% in small cap value, the end result is now $8.2 million, another $2 million increase. I mean, I've... When I wrote the book, when Rich Buck and I wrote the book about we're talking millions, 12 ways to supercharge your retirement, 12 simple ways to supercharge your retirement, we were focusing on million-dollar additions. 
And here we're looking at, with very small amounts of a portfolio, uh, now not $1 million, but we're a total now of uh, $6 million more than what we started with with the all-bond portfolio. And we're not done. We're not done. We can also look at the combination of small-cap blend and small-cap value. Now, the blend has got some growth in it, and there are times when the small-cap blend does better than small-cap value, sometimes for relatively long periods of time, and that tends to be periods when growth is doing better than value. And in that particular case, we uh, have 5% at 12% and 5% at 13% compound rates of return. And that adds another $2 million. Now we're up to almost $10.3 million for having started at about $1.95. And we've added uh, uh, $8 million with no more than 10% in equities. Then portfolio six, I know you know where I'm going, and I am all small cap value in this one equity position that you take. And it's not going to surprise you that we have just now piled on another $2 million. Now, that's with the addition of 10%. And that's under the condition that we don't rebalance the fixed income that's 90% and the 10% that's equity. And now I want to move to the other table. Uh, which $10 million decision is right for you? This is not a $2 million decision, but a $10 million decision. And I want to create uh, an approach to investing that might almost be like building a business. I've done this before, but I thought about it in a slightly different way this time. I used to be in the money management business. Uh, there were parts of our business that made more than others. Uh, we managed a hedge fund. And the hedge fund could have an amazing year. Uh, it was much riskier than the other work that we did. And we made more profit on that work, partly because if we didn't do well, if we didn't make money, then we did not get any percentage of the profits if we did. And we made up for any, after making up for any past losses, we got to keep a percentage of the profit. Uh, a, a very active strategy, a very aggressive strategy, and I still to this day after starting it in 1995 uh, continue to rebalance. And if I had just left the money in that hedge fund since 1995, it would be the biggest investment that I have. But I decided to rebalance, take from the better performing and put into the less performing strategies. So there are parts of a business that will be more profitable than other parts of the business. 
Now, that doesn't mean that we don't want to be in both parts of the business. Uh, that is just that, in fact, if you looked at GE Company, uh, I think it's uh, medical equipment part of the business is doing well. Other parts of the business have struggled over recent years. So that's not so different in many ways as having a diversified uh, portfolio of asset classes. As we all know, there are years when the S&P 500 does much better than uh, the small cap value, and sometimes it's the other way around. But I think of, and I'm thinking particularly of those in their 20s and their 30s, I'm thinking about making the investment almost like you're buying a company. Now, I must admit, I chickened out. I chickened out, and when I was uh, almost 70, uh, uh, I sold my company and uh, decided not to have that high-risk investment in my portfolio anymore. It was a huge part of my portfolio, the, the value of the company that we had built. And it was, it was also very, very risky because it's a small company. It's not like owning the S&P 500. And, as you know, oftentimes small companies do better than large companies in terms of rates of return, they may not be very large. In fact, that would be true when you look at the size of the small companies uh, on, uh, in, the, uh, in the small cap value index versus the S&P 500. You know, some of the companies in the S&P 500 are over a trillion. And the average size of a company, uh, number of shares times the price of the share in the market, that's how they determine the size, the average size is around two, three billion dollars for small companies. So, uh, just because they're small, it doesn't mean they don't have the ability to make a good profit. So, my hope is that you will consider making an investment in your IRA, in your 401k, in equities with the idea of buying that business, if we want to look at it that way, that hunk of American or American and international businesses, and just staying the course, like this is your company. It's not going to be a very big company, because if you put away, let's say, $6,000 a year for 40 years, that means that you're buying a company that you paid $240,000 for. And that investment then can be used after you've paid it off. Let's just think of it that way. It can be used to generate income for the rest of your life. And it can be used as something that you can leave the balance of the company that you haven't liquidated to your heirs. They could then let it continue to grow and keep that business in the family. You know, families do that with real estate and a lot of other things. It could be done with an investment in a company represented by a 
massively diversified portfolio of stocks. And so we asked ourselves the question, what if? What if, in fact, you decided to buy that $240,000 company? Too much to think in terms of, okay, how about if you were willing to buy a $120,000 company with the idea of holding it for life and beyond? Too much still? All right. How about, how about $60,000? It's all possible. You get to set the terms. And the terms are you get to pay off this company that you're buying over a period of 40 years. So you put away $6,000. Ooh, that could be in a Roth IRA you could buy this company. By the way, you couldn't go out and buy a regular company. You couldn't buy an, a, 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 an unincorporated or non-public company and put that in your IRA, at least not that I know of. But you can here. You can put this company with quotes around it in your IRA. And it could compound for 40 years while it's growing until you've paid the mortgage off uh, tax-free. And then when you take the money out, tax-free. When I sold our company, I did not get it tax-free. And when I started this presentation, I said there were two, two tables, sets of tables before we discussed the $2 million decisions, now I want to talk about the $10 million decisions. Now, one of them, you, you already uh, were there when we talked about the S&P 500 and what it would do with 10% investment. All we have to do basically is multiply times 10 to, to get an idea of what it would have been if you had put all of the money that you invested. And remember I said, you don't have to buy 240000 You could spend $6,000 a year, $500 a month, but you could cut that in half and do $250 a month and buy a $120,000 company over the 40 years. Or you could even do $125 a month. But if you had done the 500 a month over the 40 years, and if you had gotten the 10% compound rate of return that we talked about earlier for the S&P 500, you would end up with $22,590,000 in distributions and the value of the, uh, the residual value of the shares that you had not cashed out to live on. Not bad. On the other hand, you could have taken that 6000 and divided the money equally, $3,000 each, for the S&P 500 and the small cap blend. Now remember, these are $10 million decisions. Well, it turns out it's not a $10 million decision. It's actually 
a $20 million decision because if instead of just doing the S&P 500, you did it 50-50 S&P 500 small cap blend, it would be worth $43 million in a combination of total withdrawals and money left to the new owners of the company. Or you could even be a little more aggressive. You could uh, take that small cap part that was 50% in small cap blend, break it up, half in small cap blend, half in small cap value. So now you've got 50% in the S&P 500. That would be $3,000 and $1,500 each each year in small cap blend and small cap value. You've got parts of your business that are more risky than others. You've got parts of your business that are making more than others. But you may feel good about having half the money in a real stable business. And some of the other money in things that maybe were uh, either a little more cutting edge or for some reason in industries that are out of favor. But now, instead of $43 million, it's um, $53 million. Now it is, in fact, a, um, uh, a $10 million advantage over the uh, 43 Or you could take another step. And I really like this one. Uh, it's not the most profitable one, but I'll tell you, it's the one that represents the two ends of the dumbbell. I love having in a portfolio. One end is 50% in the S&P 500 and the other 50% in small cap value. And at the end of the 90 years, well, at the time, when, when you, I think we go out to 85. We started basically 25 and go until 95 to do this. The 40 and 30 years, 40 accumulation, 30 distribution. That total benefit is over $64 million. Now remember I said you didn't have to go for the whole 240. You could cut it in half and have $32 million. Or if you didn't want to go for the for the 120, you could go for the 60 and cut it in half again and have $16 million. And there's absolutely no magic to this, none whatsoever other than the, the, the impact of compound interest over a long time. That's it. Of course we can't know whether the S&P 500 will look for the next 93 like it did the last 93. But then we could decide, you know, everything else I'm doing with my money other than this $6,000. Everything else I'm doing is pretty doggone conservative. In fact, my, my spouse and I, we're saving fifteen twenty thousand dollars $20,000 a year. Maybe I'll just take this 6000 all equity, all small cap, half in blend, and half in small cap value. And the final number, is $85 million. That's a, a 20 
million increase. And of course, the last decision could be, could be, put all your 240,000 over 40 years, or all of your 120, or all of your 60,000 over 40 years into small cap value. And that's 106 million, in fact, almost 107 million dollars in distributions and the final value to heirs. You could also, by the way, do the same thing. You could, you could commit to buy Microsoft for $6,000 every year or Amazon. You could make a long-term commitment like that. Uh, and that might work out just fine. What I'm suggesting is a whale of a lot less risky and yet has the opportunity for a payoff that is really big. Now, to be fair, to be fair, this does not take into consideration inflation. And that inflation is, 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 is going to cost you dearly. In fact, I'm going to take a second and figure it out. All right, I've got it. I want to look only at what you're going to leave your heirs, okay? Because out of that $107 million, if you were all small cap value, that grew, like I said, to $107 million, of that, almost $75 million will be given to heirs. Now, by the way, it doesn't mean that you have to do it that way. This assumes taking out 4%. You might feel like you want to spend more. No problem, take out 5 You may want to spend even more. Yeah, take out 6 but $74 million over 70 years uh, at a 3% inflation rate makes it worth a little under $9 million. So it's not like it's a total miracle that it did that over time because uh, a large part of the growth of uh, of the of the 10% for example the S&P 500 has made uh, about 6.5% of that is left after inflation uh, so or to put it another way about 3% of that was in fact because of inflation so here is a strategy, diversified, um, either part equity or all equity, or you look at it, you, 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 you make it a separate issue. I never confused my investment in the, the Merriman Investment Management Company. I never thought of that as a part of my diversified portfolio. That was a business and then I had the passively managed things over here that I thought of for the long term, much less risky. And in fact, I'm sitting at age 77, 50-50 stocks and bonds in all of these things we've got spread around. But I could have. I could have made more if I had just stayed the course. If I never put any equity 
uh, any fixed income in the portfolio? Well, the fact is, I've got a lot of money in equities right now uh, because because we saved a lot because we were we were fortunate, lucky. I was I was born in the right place at the right time, got the right education, met the right people, and had a mother who taught me to serve others, and it all worked out great. And so I am not complaining. I have plenty. But I'm just saying that if you could put that portion of your regular investment for the long term, think all equities, no rebalancing, just stay the course. It's your business. And, uh, and, and, and see what, what happens. It could be very, very good for you and your family. And it may start a family tradition of putting aside at the birth of a child $365 a year, $500 a year. I don't care what the amount is with the idea of doing the same thing all the way until they are retired, at which point they can start taking the dividends, if you will, from owning that business all those years. I have no idea if this story makes sense to you. I hope it does. If it raises questions, if it is confusing, paul at paulmerriman.com and I'll do what I can to straighten you out. I think that these tables will be an interesting tool, interesting information to help you make the right decision for you and your family in the future. Thank you, as always, and uh, I hope you'll pass this on to people you think might find it of interest and uh, and encourage them to go to paulmerriman.com and send them a link to the free, the PDF for We're Talking Millions, Let's, uh, let's figure out ways to help more folks. And thanks always for being there uh, to let us have somebody to help. All the best. That was Paul Merriman with Sound Investing. Sound Investing, soundinvesting.com, and paulmerriman.com are produced and exclusively owned by Paul Merriman, who is solely responsible for their content. For more information, free articles, mutual fund recommendations, and more, visit paulmerriman.com.